What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the I'm Getting There podcast. It's your host, Michael Booth, and I'm here once again with a brand new episode for you guys and a brand new guest today. I have comedian Phil Griffiths on the podcast, and it was pretty cool to have Phil on the show, uh, talk about comedy, talk about his show that he has in uh, Half Moon Bay at Hop Dogma Brewery, the Comedy Sharks Showcase, um, which you can find dates to all of his shows at uh, philcomedy.com. And um, follow him on Instagram at Phil Griffiths uh, as well. And uh, yeah, make sure to check him out. And also do me a favor, follow the podcast on Instagram at I'm Getting There Pod, all one word. I'll make sure to tag Phil in the episode when I post it. And if you guys do me a favor, subscribe to the show. Uh, click the link in the bio. And I think it's wherever you can get podcasts. I think I'm on every platform now. Um, so wherever you're listening, uh, I do appreciate it. Uh, if you could sub, uh, subscribe, and also if you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or uh, I think Spotify and Stitcher, you can leave a review and rate the show. Um, so please do that, and you ha- if you haven't already, it just takes a, a few seconds there. Uh, hit it, hit the stars, rate the stars, type a few words, and uh, hit send. And uh, you're doing me a big favor. I really appreciate any and all feedback I get about the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Phil. you is i know last night we briefly were chatting and i overheard you mention to dna that you had been doing comedy for about 10 years now mm-hmm. uh, i'm curious in that like in that 10-year path like what like at what point did you kind of like was there like a was there like a turning point for you in any moment in the 10 years where you kind of were like okay i need to like um i need to start like changing it up or doing something different to like get to where you kind of had like your goals set was there like a like a defining moment or something like anything like that for you um i mean for me when i first started it was i mean it was kind of just on a whim i didn't even it was something i wanted to do my whole i started when i was late i was 39 when i started so oh, okay. um the whole time it was just kind of like this is just something I wanted to do and try. Uh, my brother had passed away and we had always talked about trying to do comedy. And so I didn't want to have that on my kind of conscience. So I wrote up five minutes and went to roosters and did the Wednesday showcase for the first time. That was the first time I ever was on. So, um, once I kind of got past that stuff, which is probably like a whole other question really, but the, the turning point for me was when I got kind of past that, at Roosters as a host, and I was like, oh, I am, I think I'm pretty good at this, and other people think that too, so, um, you know, it's not just a a hobby at that point, I mean, I guess it could Mm -hmm. still be for some people at that point, but for me, it was uh, kind of a stamp of approval that, you know, there's a comedy booker that's been doing it for a while, and there's the club, it's a real club, you know, and and, uh, for me to be able to work it and do that just kind of put a, you know, a good pat on the back for me and made me kind of realize like that's, um, 
you know, this is something that I can do and, and people think I'm good at. So, uh, then, you know, just trying to expand that. Then I had, you know, other goals of getting past this feature and getting past the punch and being able to do those things. But that, that was kind of the big like tear marker for me. It was like, okay, now, now I can consider myself like a real comic. Okay. And how, and how long was that into performing before you got the, I was trying to look that up. I think, uh, let me check. I think it was the first time was, was it, uh, maybe 20, well, let's see. So I started 10 years ago. So it was 2012 is when I started. And I think my first hosting weekend was, uh, sorry, this is great. Great interview no, downtown. No, no. <laughs> no worries. Uh, I think it was 2014. Okay. So I think two years in. Nice. Was when I got it because I started October 2012 and then September. September 2014 is when I did that first that first hosting weekend. So, which is kind of fast in some respects. But I think that's also where my age helped me. Um, you know, I'd work, I'd worked for a long time, so I had like the professionalism. I think of you know being able to go into the club mm-hmm. and talk like an adult, which is some comics don't know how to do that when they're younger. You know, so be able to like send a thank you email and you know tip the staff nicely when I'm just standing there on a Wednesday night. That type of thing uh, definitely helps. But um, you know, yeah, getting the, getting that two years in, it definitely felt good on my part because I know people that had been going there longer than that and had not been passed, and so uh, that that was kind of a big a big marker for me. Okay, and then I've also seen, um, I think about this. It seems like around the same and a similar timeline, you started uh, doing your show at uh, the Comedy Sharks that at was it Hop Dogma? I yeah. think is the place. Yeah. I started doing that. I mean, I did start doing that a year in. So when I was, so I guess we started that, uh, yeah, almost a year in. I, uh, Pete Munoz, because I used to go to uh, um, Woodham's quite a bit for open mic night and on Mondays. Okay. And uh, Pete gave me the advice. He was like, you want to get better at hosting? Run your own show. You'll get better a lot faster. And I was like, all right. And then me and Dave said the same thing. He's like, you got to do you got to go do your, run your own show. Stop watching all these idiots. Go do your own show. I was like, all right. Mm-hmm. So I found, uh, you know, it was also my wife was also like, you know, can we swear on this? I don't know if we can swear. Yeah, go yeah, for it. She's yeah. like, <laughs> my wife's like, stop fucking driving to Oakland <laughs> every night. Why don't you do something closer to your house? And uh, so I went, you know, into town. There was a new brewery that was opening up. It was pretty small, which was kind of ideal. Like, I think it literally had 25 seats at the time. So, um and they were new in the community, and so they were like, hit them up. I was like, hey, do you guys want to do a comedy show? I can bring in you know, some comics from around the Bay, and we'll do it like monthly. We'll see how that goes. And they're like, yeah, sure. And they were, it was Dan and, and uh, his partner, they were, were super good about um, kind of giving me free reign. They're like, we trust you, do whatever you want to do. And um, right from the start, like first night, packed out. Um, standing room only you, you could get like one beer and that was it because you couldn't make your way to the bar otherwise because you're <laughs> yeah. just like jam-packed holding your beer in there um, and it just kind of grew from that I mean once I started doing that it definitely helped you know obviously uh, 
helps on a lot of fronts, you know, getting your material sharper, getting that better. I was doing it only monthly, so it wasn't um, as taxing on me, but it was um, a great way to network. And then obviously once it get, word gets out that, you know, oh, that guy Phil's got a good show in Half Moon Bay, and I could pay pretty well. I was I was paying probably better than the average five, ten bucks you were getting in the city at the time. I could pay like 40 bucks, 50 bucks for somebody doing 10 minutes. So, um, cause the tips were just so great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I got that and then just kept kind of kept doing it. And then it helped me network with people. People saw me do material and they're like, Oh, this guy's pretty funny. I'll have him on my show. And it just kind of grew from that. But that's, and then I just learned to host. I mean, that's the first job you're going to have in comedy is hosting. So, uh, I learned how to host. I learned how to you know, deal with shitty hecklers, deal how with shitty drunk people, and uh, just figured all that out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I can't thank Dan and those guys at Hop Dogma enough because without that, I don't think I'd be the comic I am. Just because um, that show helped me grow in in many many ways. I mean, you know, once we we started getting you know regulars all the time, so at least I always say like at least fifty percent of that room is a returning customer every time. So mm. they've seen my shit, and they're probably frankly yeah. quite sick of it at some point so uh then i had to realize like oh let me just practice doing crowd work and so then i was able to practice crowd work for you know again 10 15 minutes every month and it just gave me uh, another good skill set to learn from and uh just kind of play with that and there's you know nights you check out and you're not really interested in <laughs> performing it and hosting and producing does have its uh as you know has its uh uh kind of ups and downs and stresses and so yeah. you don't really you know sometimes you don't want to deal with it and now i've been doing it I've been hosting it for 10 years, so it's crazy. Um, yeah, I was, I was scrolling through the, like the Instagram and I like, you have really awesome, uh, like flyers and and promo for the show. And I just wanted to kind of ask you, like, just as another producer, like, what have you found to be like the most effective way to like, to like promote your show, like to market it in that area to like get those people coming back? Like, yeah. What have you found to be successful? I mean, frankly, it has nothing to do with the flyer at the end of the day. It's really about the lineups. Uh, I mean, when I started, um, you know, I started with a good group of people at the same time. I mean, you know, obviously they're a lot younger than me when I was starting, but I started with like Mark Smalls and Daoud and Andrew and uh, all those people. So mm-hmm. they were all just killing it, you know, or when we're all starting, we're killing it. But when we're all starting, we're kind of, you know, that same level. But, uh, you could tell who was good, who was bad, but I wanted to make sure my lineups were good. So um, you can go back and look at those lineups. And at the time, those were the heavy hitters in the Bay. So they were people that were killing it. I, I wasn't going to put up somebody just to put up because they were my friend. I legit legit put them up if they were funny. So um, and that and that's what creates a good show. I mean, I wasn't going to put up nine comics because I wanted to fit three friends in. I wasn't going to mm-hmm. I wasn't going to put up you know, four of the five comics just because they're my friends. I wasn't going to do that. It had to be people that I legitimately laugh at when I'm at a show and that I enjoy. Um, you know, that's what you want first. The hang, obviously, as a producer is cool at secondary. So you want people that are cool to hang out with. If they're dicks off stage, I don't want to hang out with them. So um, I wouldn't want to put them up. But um, I mean, that's, you know, the the flyer got the attention, but it's the people at the show that appreciated the comedy and how good it is. They're like, oh shit, this guy's bringing it like every month. He's bringing in like mm-hmm. legit, really good comics, and so that word spread pretty quickly within the community, um, and that just helped immensely. I mean, I legit people would you know hit me up all the time. Hey, I'd love to do your show, and I'm like, I bet you would. 
<laughs> like, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to put you on because I just don't think you, I can't, you can't say that a lot of times in emails, you can't say like, I don't think you're ready. Like who the fuck am I? But if I don't think you're funny, I, I just don't want to put you on my show. That's like kind of how it works. But you know, there's people that waited a year, two years, sometimes three years to get on my show. And for me, it was just like, once I finally saw what I thought was funny and that I thought you'd be a good fit for the room and then I can put you up and legit there was like a giant you know waiting list you know now I have like you know probably three four month waiting list of people to come on the show um, um mm-hmm. but at the time it, you know I immediately booked out I mean there's only 12 shows a year being monthly so I was yeah. and that's what I was also trying to do is I try and book people out like you know six months in advance be like hey what are you doing in May you know and get them mm-hmm. just so that I could have like essentially five headliners on the show to just fucking kill it every time so um the flyer though to come back to that i think it did become a good part of it and i think that almost um advertises it better to the comics because the mm-hmm. comics see that and they're like oh shit that's a cool poster who does that show you know if you have some like janky microsoft paint f- flyer then everyone's like huh looks like an open mic or whatever but if you like if the flyer built it up then it looks a little bit more impressive when i'm trying to get you know, the person with the Comedy Central credit or if I'm trying to get somebody that, you know, has has a little TV work or whatever it is. Um, uh-huh. It just gives the give the show a little more validity and um, a little more weight in that sense. Um, and then, you know, people just comment on the poster. And so that helps too. like, oh, shit, that's a good one. So you see all the comics posting on it. You see like the local community people posting on it. That that's, you know, funny. I always try to add some level of humor in the poster too like you could see me drowning in the background or something like that all the yeah. time so um it was kind of where's phil or where's waldo type thing but um yeah I, I think that was a big part of it but I, I really just think the lineups advertise the show way more than any of the poster you're going to put up people are going to find out about the show but they're going to talk about it because the the, the quality of the show was good because the lineup was good yeah. yeah that's that makes a lot of sense it's like it's the reason that in and out is in and out if you know if we're going to compare it to something yep. like what you just described like the you know what it is you know it's going to be good every time you know it's the consistency it's like it's the reason the lines around the door yeah, you know yeah. it's like uh it's uh yeah that's a great that's a great point uh i wanted to bring it back to what you mentioned about um doing crowd work because i was uh happened to just be able to watch you last night mm-hmm. um and you were that older couple in the in the in the corner you were kind of referencing them a few times uh, and I'm always, I've always like, uh, admired other comics I watched that are able to like continue to go back to, um, to somebody and not like annoy them. Do you know what I'm like? You, you kept being able to draw from them and like kind of bring a new idea and then see, get their perspective on it and like kind of play with them a little throughout your set. Yeah. And it was like, it was really cool to like, is that just, was that just from, doing it like a shit ton of times you could just like you almost know what the because i was talking to jason cruz that we were like saying like it doesn't even matter what their answers are right now i feel like he kind of already knows where he's gonna go with this thing he's just kind of using them as a like a, to get anything like right like anything that he could maybe improv with from from the the person yeah and it was uh, uh, sorry guys no, I was just saying, it's really interesting. I was, like, sitting there, like, man, this is cool. He can, like, he just keeps going back to them. And he's not, like, annoying them. They're not being, like, leave us alone, you know? Like, it was just you're able to, like, keep getting more and more from them. It was cool. <clears throat> yeah, I think the um, – for me, it was almost I, – I kind of do that almost out of fear because <laughs> uh, on the inside, I'm worried that my crowd work isn't going to go anywhere and they're not going to say anything. And 
and I actually learned it watching Jeselnik, Anthony Jeselnik. At, he was at Roosters a long time ago, and I remember watching him. And he didn't do crowd work, but he did connect with everybody in the front row somehow, whether he just said, like, he just had the topic of, he knew where he was going with the next joke. So he just asked someone, do you have kids? They'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, oh, yeah, kids. And then he would just go into this bit about kids. And I was like, oh, he's connecting with them. He's not scaring, he's not, you know, berating them at the audience for having kids mm-hmm. or whatever but these he's definitely like just kind of changing topics but by in- including the crowd into it and um i've kind of used that as almost a hitch because there's times they're not going to give you anything i've learned pretty quickly <laughs> and so uh, like the lady last night she was not going to give me anything when i asked her what present did her husband give you like what's mm-hmm. the best present your pre- husband ever gave you and she had nothing and so you kind of have to either stall in that moment or figure out how to go someplace else. But I did know I have a, my next joke is about my wife giving me a present. So mm-hmm. um, it, I know I can jump into that or bail out if I if I don't need it. You know, if, if she's not going to give me anything, great, I'm out. If she gives me a gem and I can joke on that and pull on that, then great. I got another minute and a half out of it. Um, but otherwise, I know it still relates to what I'm going to say next. And so... Um, you know, all those types of things kind of play into it for me, especially with the crowd work that I'm trying to carve a pattern with. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm trying to lead them definitely when I ask the questions. I, I'm not leaving it as open ended. I'm trying to get a specific answer out of them. Um, okay. But, but that, yeah, it, it's it's usually just become a, a way of a topic changer for, for me, and I, and I know where I'm going to go after it if they, if they don't give me anything. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Like now that I, now that you explain it that way, because it's like, oh yeah, it's kind of almost how uh, I've seen other comics be just like say like a statement about themselves. Like they'll be like, yeah, I'm single, um, and then they kind of just that's a way for them to start this whole new. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I, I I I I struggle with like those kind of things. Yeah. Um, like I feel like it's like how can I like just get from the okay the laugh's over how can i start to get to the new thing like like without it feeling like i'm without them seeing me kind of feel like i'm like uh and kind of in that moment of like awkward energy yeah yeah it's like those things i've noticed listening back to myself it's like those like like i'll spend almost a minute of my total time on stage like i'll like keep track of it and i'm like wow like that's a whole other extra joke that i could have gotten out where i'm just kind of going uh uh and kind of doing this like just trying to get like trying to fill the space for time yeah trying to get that segue from one to the next yeah Mm -hmm. i i I, even when i was writing my first kind of like you know when i got up to like 10 15 minutes or whatever i definitely wanted to keep that flow all the time. So I'd always make sure that the, the story I could easily transition to the next, um, where it made sense. That was, you know, it, and that took a lot of time of just trying to figure out the order of the jokes. Right. And that's, that's a huge part of it. Just trying to get those jokes in the right order and still have the same punch. Um, but yeah, that, that was a, that was a huge part of it. Trying to get that right segue and trying to make it, make it all work. But you, you know, that's also when you listen back and you're like, like you're saying, like you notice that minute you're like, Oh shit that's where I need a joke. I need something here. And maybe that is where you just go to the crowd and ask, you know, are you guys single? And if that comes, something comes of it. No. And if something plays with it, then, Oh, I'm single. And this is, this is why I have issues with it or whatever it is. And you can kind of, it makes it a little more uh, friendly dialogue and the crowd just kind of feel, it makes it feel way more natural um, than, than anything, you know, when you're just 
you know, switching to, oh, so online dating, you know, and just kind of going with it. it. It does feel way more natural when you can include somebody, but it does also invite people to talk, <laughs> which yeah. may or not, may or not <laughs> want at, you know, certain shows or certain times. Um, and, you know, if you have to be able to have the time to deal with it and, you know, I couldn't have talked to that lady last night and given her that much time to kind of not give me an answer if I had like a short 10 minute set, you know, luckily DNA gave me enough kind of room to hang myself with that stuff. So where I like, I could stretch it out. But if I'm on a strict 10 minutes, I can't sit and wait around. I got to kind of move on. So that's, I guess you kind of answered my next question there was when you're doing that kind of making sure you're also monitoring like for time, you know, cause it's like, you could go on like a tangent that takes, you know, yeah. you don't really, it's hard to know how long that stuff goes for when you, then you try, then you try to go back to your material and you're like, okay, where was, what, you know, what number joke or what, you know, thing was I on? Yeah. That... Which I noticed you have like, it's pretty smart. It was very smooth of you to have like your phone by your beer. I noticed that last night yeah. too. That's like just a smooth way of like not letting them really, they didn't even really seem like they notice it. You're kind of like, I don't know if you had your notes there, but it seemed like that's kind of what was the, or just timing yourself, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I use it as everything. I have a timer just to see where I'm at because that's my uh, kind of obsessive compulsive is just to know exactly where I am time wise all the time. But uh, and then uh, notes. I've been trying to switch around order of jokes lately and trying to remember which ones because I've added some new ones in. So I'm trying to remember to add those in. Like I, I forgot a couple last night, which killed me. But um, yeah, I, I, it is. It is a little easier to do it that way sometimes, but being able to, you know, when, when you have the, I mean, that's why I always ask DNA, like, how much time do I got? And he'll say 30. And then I'm like, do you need me to be like hard done at 30 or do, can I go to 40? Or like, you know, and he's like, you know, take as much mm -hmm. time as you want. So then, you know, just on the inside, you can take as much time as you want. And that obviously changes the whole game and makes you... You can let the laughs go a little longer. You can let the, you know, spaces in between be a little more quiet in between. And you can, uh, you know, take those opportunities when crowd work presents itself. And um, like that guy just shouting out 58 last night for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, that came to mind like earlier too. I was like, oh yeah, there was that. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> luckily I could maybe kind of, uh, you know, give some attention to that and uh, at least, you know, <laughs> address it um but you know if i'm in a 10 minute set i have to just blow that guy off and be like what the fuck and then go on to the next joke but uh it, it does allow you to have that flexibility which obviously when you're first starting out and trying to just even move up it's uh it's hard to get those times for sure uh i um earlier you mentioned the like the thing with jeslick and that rooster tees and i you've been at other clubs and I've seen you open I've like in your website and stuff I've seen you open for some other like bigger name comics mm -hmm. is there any like uh really um like good advice that you've gotten from them that you'd be willing to share like any like things that they can maybe said to you in the green room or something that was like you're like a nugget that was like man that would like was like really this sticks with you yeah I'm trying to think um I mean, I know I have had uh, a handful of it. Sometimes headliners just don't want to talk to you at all anyway, so uh, they're kind of mm -hmm. stuck, you know, in the green room by themselves or whatever. I've had definitely had those moments too, but um I'm trying to think. the When I did have Steve Trevino was really good about it. He listened to my whole set and kind of, you know, gave me um, 
just some good pointers about, you know, you know, at the time I was saying, um, a lot and I was kind of, uh, umming and awing through my whole set. He's like, your set's great. It's really tight. He's like, just cut out the ums and ahs and, and you'd be, you'd be killing it a lot more. And I didn't really realize how much I was saying it. And, it, and I went back and listened. It was just a ton. It was literally like, had some hitch after every joke. I'd be, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, that really caught up with me quite a bit. Um, I think the other one was Ali Sadiq. I opened for him at Roosters, and I don't know if you've ever seen him. He's a phenomenal storyteller. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't watched any of his specials, he's great. Um, okay. He has the, uh, what is it, Mexicans got on boots bit about being in prison. Um, but his, uh, watching him alone was a giant lesson in storytelling uh, and how he does it. It's it's just amazing. He uses the whole stage as essentially... Um, it's like all you know. It's a, it's a prop essentially. You know, he'll move the stool over here. He'll move the mic stand over there. Um, sometimes he asks for an extra chair, and he as he's setting up a bit and telling up setting up the story, he's like kind of moving the pieces around the stage. So he'll move the mic stand over here, and he'll move the chair over to the left side, and then he'll be telling the story, and then suddenly he jumps back into the chair, and then he you know grabs the microphone as part of whatever he's holding on to, and. He, he, I asked him after, I was like, you know, you're intentionally obviously moving those things around, but I mean, is that something you do? And he's like, oh yeah. He's like, that's, he's like, this is all a stage for me. This is all my performance. You know, this is, these are all those, you know, these are props I can use and utilize to tell the story. He's like, I'm a little guy. He's, he's a shorter guy. And so he's like, you know, when I'm sitting, when I can sit in the stool and then I can jump up, I become bigger. And so it gives more emphasis to what I'm saying. He's like, but if I'm, you know, five foot, whatever, and I'm standing there and I just try and get bigger, I don't get any bigger, you know? So, um, he was utilizing all those tools in a way where I just, I'd never seen anybody use it. And I was just like, wow, this is, yeah. it's like a stage performance. It wasn't, I mean, it was obviously stand up. He's great. Uh, but it was watching, it was more like watching a stage performance where you could, you know, after I saw him like the second, third night and I'd see him kind of drag the chair over a little bit. I was like, oh, that's when he's going to jump down, you know, and then you see him move the stool on the other side. I was like, oh, he's going to use that as the, as the guy in the story or whatever. So, um, seeing all those things, uh, you know, made it, made it kind of amazing to watch and, and, and talking with him, you know, it was definitely a, a huge part of it, but, uh, he was, his storytelling is amazing. So just, you know, and, and his story is great too. So just his, uh, you know, push to become a comic and, you know, all his trials and tribulations were, it was some really great advice. Yeah, wow, that's that's an interesting thing. Like, never looked at the. I guess that's just the beauty of of comedy is everybody looks at it differently. Like thinking to use like the mic stand and the stool and the ch- like the ways that you're describing. It's like, yeah, that makes like I. It's uh, like I, I, I've seen like certain like like Bill Hicks kind of uses the mic stand in certain like when he's doing like his devil bits yeah. and stuff where he's yeah. like, like you'll see him do that and. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, it's just like adding another level of visual for for people. Because I'm I'm kind of like the person where you could you could explain something to me. I don't and like just you could maybe just stand there and tell the story, and I could kind of maybe you know visualize it yeah. in my head. But we're all different. Like you know, like uh, uh, some people need that. Like, yeah, uh, totally. That thing in front of them to be able to. That's yeah, that's really. Yeah, cool. I do a lot of creative work. Like like I make the posters and all that stuff, and so I'm able to visualize stuff pretty easily in my head but i definitely know people that don't they need to see it and they need it to be like you know f- almost fully fleshed out before they can even like visualize it so yeah any of that stuff you can add to a story is, is amazing you should definitely watch ollie's a yeah, couple of specials it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing how, how he does it 
Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I wanted to. Um, there's another. I have one more question here for you. Um, sorry. Oh, yes, we were talking about it last night, and I think I uh, I might have asked you it already last night, mm. but you um, you did a lot of comedy at the Blue Lagoon, yeah. uh, or at least I've seen DNA talks about that group of people that you were kind of around at that time. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just curious if you have any like uh, any just like crazy stories because it's just like that place is just um, <laughs> every at least on Tuesdays now. But every Tuesday that I've been there over the past couple of like years that I've been going there regularly to do it, there's just like the it's like uh, it's hard to explain to like people back home. It's just like such a random group of people sometimes. Yeah, and like just a <laughs> like that back room. It's just like a freaking. Uh, it's a cool place. I'm just wondering if you have anything that like sticks out to you or anything you like from the Blue Lagoon that it's just like you'll never you know always kind of stick with you. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a, a pretty special moment. I think. I mean, in that time, like I said, it was you know a lot of people. A lot of people in South Bay, because that's where I kind of started. I mean, I, I I lived in Half Bay at the time, but I grew up in the South mm-hmm. Bay, like Cupertino, San Jose area. So I just physically knew it better, like how to get around. And I didn't know how to get around the city very well. And I didn't know any of the scene there. So when I first started doing it, like I said, I went to Roosters and just did the open mic, or the open showcase there. And then when I did the, um, you know, got to know people a little bit and they pointed me in the right direction of different open mics. It was always kind of in that San Jose area. And then people were telling me like, oh, you got to go over to Santa Cruz. And so the, the South Bay scene kind of flowed over quite a bit to, to Santa Cruz. So there was a lot of people um, kind of starting at that time and in that time. So, you know, like you would see Mark Smalls there, Dawood Namior, Andrew Rolfo, all those guys would be there. Joey Avery from Saratoga. So he was down in that area too. Um, but then at the same time, like, you know, that's when Chad was starting. Chad Opitz was starting in, in the Santa Cruz scene. And uh, Emily Catalano was there, too. So it was like this whole weird scene. But then, like, Brendan Lynch is one of the greatest comics I've ever seen. He's so funny. And so to go and see them, even though I didn't get up on a Tuesday, I would just go in hopes to see him because you just knew he was going to destroy this audience. And so it was kind of like watching a class. You know, you go and, and just and watch. And that's I did that a lot. I mean, that was in my you know first couple of years for sure. I would go and... A lot of comics would do their spot and then get out to either try and go get another spot or whatever. And I definitely get that um, kind of spot or, you know, that mentality. But I also wanted to see what others are doing just to sometimes see what not to do. Uh, but also, yeah. also, also, I mean, there's guys that have been doing it a while. Why not watch and see what they've been, you know, how they do it. And so watching Lynch was just a, you know, masterclass for me. But um, so going to the blue on those Tuesday nights was just kind of a special thing. You know, I, the first time I went, or I, somebody said to try and go up, and so they said, oh, email this guy DNA. So I emailed him, and he's like, oh, I don't really, uh, you know, he said, uh, the Blue Lagoon's kind of a wild ride. Why don't you just, uh, why don't you just come down uh, first uh, and check it out? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, just check it out first, and then, you know, we can talk about booking later. And I was like, all right, that's weird. I guess he just wants people in the audience is what I thought he wanted. So I went down there, and... Uh, watch a show is pretty intimidating because it's i don't i don't go to santa cruz a lot of the time so uh and it's definitely like the definition of dive bar so uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so going in there and there was like you know it was it was butch escobar it was very intimidating to look at i didn't know him he's a teddy bear now but uh i didn't know him at the time he was intimidating and 
there's just all these guys there that I just was like, Ooh, you know, I don't, I don't know. And so I sat and watched the show and after the show, um, <laughs> DNA was, he had just made the blue lagoon t-shirts, blue lagoonies t-shirts that were black funnily enough. Oh, but, okay. um, <laughs> and, uh, I remember him, he was, he was telling, I, I still give him shit about this all the time, but he, uh, there was like a bunch of comics in front of him, which I now know are like, uh, you know, um, Ben and uh, Ben took and those guys. And, um, he goes, uh, he goes, uh, all right, uh, I just got these shirts. Uh, you guys can, uh, comics can buy them for 10 bucks. And then, uh, I, in my head, I was like, Oh, I'll buy one, you know, like support the show, show the producer. I'm like here to, to support or whatever. And so I, I tapped him on the shoulder. I was like, Oh, I'd like to buy one. And he looks at me and he looks, he looks me up and down and he goes, 25 bucks. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> oh, man. That's like, <laughs> like oh. uh, he doesn't. Uh, I was just like, I, I'm not a comic in his eyes. He doesn't know who the fuck I am, I guess. Whatever. So that's fine. So I give him 25 bucks. And so now I still give him shit that uh, he charged me the non comic rate for, uh, for a shirt. But uh, just stuff like that. But just in that time, like Sean McKenzie was down there. He's one of my friends, uh, one of the first comics I actually met doing comedy. Um, so having him down there too. And, uh, just seeing everybody kind of grow at that time through that place was really amazing. And you, you know, you started initially going up in those first, you know, five, seven spots or whatever. And then being able to, I remember when I got asked, when he told me I was going to close it out for the first time, I was fucking thrilled. I thought like I made it, you know what I mean? But, uh, mm -hmm. and then, uh, but it, you know, it, it's a humbling room at the same time. I think it's, um, you know, you can, really get the wind knocked out of you. I think I've had my worst set ever was at the blue. It was one of those nights. I still remember it cause it fucking haunts me. But the, uh, it was one of those like summer nights in Santa Cruz where it's really hot. It was kind of hot. It was like probably 75 degrees from the at night. But, um, I think they also had something going on in the room next door. So there was like an extra hundred people in there and the mm -hmm. heat of the place was just sweltering. It was just packed out. And for some reason, DNA decided to, drag a giant piece of plywood between the bar and the comedy room which that's a pretty big opening you know obviously you know where that is right like right yeah, right next yeah, to, yeah, the, yeah. to the light to the to the to the back room so he like closed it off from the pool hall and from the bar so you have to like open it every time but that rose the temperature by like 30 degrees <laughs> then it was already hot so oh, it became so hot in that room so i remember going up on stage and just already already sweating and then um, I said my first joke, which was a pretty tried and true joke at that point. Nothing. Fucking crickets. And I was like, oh. Damn. And then I forgot my second joke. So then I had to, I pulled out the paper in my pocket. And I looked at it and I put it back and I said the second joke. Nothing. Forgot my third joke. Pulled out my pocket, said it and said that joke. It got like a little, little laughter. And then I said my fourth joke, and then it was something about a blowjob or something. And then some guy goes, sucks. And I thought he was talking about me, but now when I look, when I listen back to him, he was talking about what was happening in the joke. But at the time, I took it that he was heckling me that I sucked. And I was oh, like, man. oh, my God. And by this time, I'm already sweating. It's just like fucking pouring down <laughs> my face. I like can't, I can't stop wiping my face, wiping my brow the entire time and then just proceeded to eat shit for five minutes. And I was like, well, I'm never doing comedy again. This is, <laughs> this is the worst night of my life. I've just clearly died up here and, uh, it was fucking horrible. And then I got off and DNA is like, 
Interesting. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> dude, I hate, fuck, I hate when he does that, dude. I was like, yeah. Was. He'll just look at you, bro. Just shakes his head for a little bit, like, hmm. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> That's the worst shit. Yeah. Oh, I was like, man. I disappointed, yeah. like, everybody. It was just so bad. I just uh, walked off, then everybody gives you shit about it, but... Oh, yeah, but that's very like the, that's the, well, that's definitely one of the memorable ones. But just just being in that, that, I mean, that room does have something special about it in the weird way. I, I can't tell you what it is. You'd never look at it and go like, yes, this is comedy magic. But it does have something there, and I think it does, especially the way DNA kind of runs it and and kind of uh, cultivates the comedy scene there, and be able to, you know, pull somebody out of the crowd and get them to try it for once, and um, you know. It, Obviously, Chad is is one of the greater examples of that. Like, just he wasn't there in the scene, and uh, he was able to go up on stage there quite a bit. So it really helped him out. And I think it's just it's just a great a great spot for people. And and, and DNA has kind of helped that the whole time. So it's been great, dude. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's a, a couple of people have said the same thing. That's like, they're not quite able to describe it, but there's like something about the the place there. Like when it's the crowds, then it's full crowd, and yeah. like. Yeah, and it's like again in the crowd, and it's a good show, and everything. It does feel really like, yeah, yeah. When the lights are dimmed, it's really cool. The one, the one, um, the one show we did once that, uh, I know Chad hates it, but and Chad has this amazing Coors Light bit, and so <laughs> DNA had the idea to do Chad stock. Did you ever hear this one? I've heard about it. Yeah, so everyone yeah. did Chad's bit <laughs> in their own way, and. uh Chad, Chad is like, am I dying? Like, why, why are you doing this? <laughs> like, I don't get why you're doing this. It was like always the joke. He's like, I'm not dead. I'm like, I could still do the bits for you. And then and he's like, nope, we're all going to do your bit. <laughs> so, but then I remember, so I did my version of it, but I changed all the words to be about the Santa Cruz comedy scene at the time. And, uh, you know, ripped on DNA and Ben and kind of everybody in the scene. And then, uh, then Chad famously does like a barrel roll up on stage towards the end of the bit. And I did, cause I'm old. I did a like slow, like creature roll side roll onto the stage as I like just kind of slowly rolled up onto the stage as my barrel roll and probably got herpes from it. Cause that stage is gross. But, uh, it was, uh, that was, that was a fun night just cause Chad couldn't understand why we were doing it. Half of us had no idea why we were doing it, and DNA fucking loved it. It was great. <laughs> um, that's awesome. I uh, I want to. I have a few more things, but yeah. the Zoom is about to kick okay. us out. Awesome. Yeah, sorry about that. Freaking. I did have um, some stuff that I saw. I was looking up like some current event type stuff. I always I'd like to have a few um, things to just bring up to kind of chat yeah. about that are ridiculous. And one the one that I found is obvious. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, in politics, like the, the presidential uh, candidacy is coming up, and um, good old yep, uh, freaking Trump is trying to run again. Um, he has some. <laughs> he's starting to drop like his uh, his ideas or like his what he's going to focus on in his campaign. And one of them that I thought was pretty wild is his. Uh, He's pretty set on flying cars. Uh, for he wants America to be the first ones, not China, to lead the revolution in air mobility. He says, and he's he's calling them vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. 
<laughs> I feel like that's how they had to explain helicopters to him. <laughs> like we already have this. He's like, no, we we need we need more. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just I think it's I don't I don't know. I mean, he and he's been talking about. Uh, he's also been talking about like building. It's just it's pretty wild. I I I was looking at his his like list of stuff that he wants to I mean I can't even believe that he's still that he still wants to like I think Marjorie Taylor Greene's going to be his vice presidential candidate. <laughs> yeah. I think he's just trying to go as far off the rails as he can just be like guess what right? I'm going to do it with this fucking maniac and then you're always going to like really see how fucked up this place is. <laughs> Damn it, I saw he was trying to do like he wanted to build like ten new cities or something. Yes, and like on federal land, like in their yeah, called freedom like, cities. Which I'm... yeah, I saw you say called them freedom cities. Yeah, but then I was like, of course, the fucking land developer, building developer guy wants to fucking build ten new cities. Like he's just trying to figure out how to make more money for him. That's all he's trying to do every time. But he nobody like keep nobody sees that. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, I don't. They're gonna be like shitty at like where where federal land like where it's gonna be. The middle of fucking Nevada, the middle of fucking nowhere. There's thinking there's there's cities like where they're supposed to be for a reason. Yeah, I'm not. It just seems like a big. It seems like the wall 2.0. Yeah. Like that's kind of like where I, I I'm at with it. I also saw like I mean, are you in a are you in an area that's been affected by the snow at all? No, I'm in Half Bay okay. by the beach. Well, I mean, we had we actually had snow on the beach. Mm. Which was crazy, but uh, no, we. I mean, I'm not like snowed in or anything. Because I've been, I've been checking out like some of the places where they are getting like record-breaking snowfall, and yeah. it's kind of insane, like to see, like how how like it's affecting everybody that's there, like that lives there. Because it's kind of, it's kind of insane. Like it's like there's like ten foot walls of snow in some of these areas, just like completely. Yeah. People have no power. They can't like it's it's got to be insane to like never have snow like that ever. And then to just have so much that you can't even get out of your house like the. Yeah, there's it's I mean, it's even crazier now. You see it on TikTok too, or whatever Instagram. But you see like everyone's just posting. They're like, look, I can't leave my house. Yeah. So now we're just going to see like the Donner party like live on fucking, you know, mm-hmm. 90, 90 second intervals of them just uh, slowly dying and eating each other because it's it's they don't have it there's nothing they can do you see people try and get out of their house and they're like we, we can't get out of here there's no there's no uh snow uh shovel things whatever those are called snow pl- california my uh, i don't even know what it is snow plow i think so, snow plow yeah. there you go <laughs> you know snow shovels on cars <laughs> <whatever that is. laughs> uh yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, like, I don't know. There's some, there was some one. There was one uh, guy who was like trying to hike a mile in the snow with his daughter to go rescue some friends or whatever. Yeah, and they got like a couple hundred yards away and they couldn't breathe. They were just tired, like super tired. They couldn't get anywhere. I was like, yeah, you're just gonna, mm-hmm. we're just gonna watch them li- die live now on TV. That's the. I think you the the point that you just made is kind of the biggest takeaway that I've had is that TikTok is. Like you're not, you're getting to see way more firsthand accounts of like I think anything else, of yeah. any event like ever. Like it's, like I, like when there was like the 
early like Russia Ukraine stuff, you'd see these videos like of people and they're videotaping their phones, and it's like you could watch like you've never been able to really see stuff like like the news they they curate that a lot more. But yeah, you're right. Like getting able to see yeah. people like in like just help me like on a like on a TikTok video, and it's like how do you what am I you know you're just sitting there going fuck yeah. like it's yeah. it's pretty it's pretty insane like it's and it's just weird your levels because you're like watching this like you know ukrainian soldier like die in the pit you know as a russian tank rolls over and then the next one you're like wow that girl's boobs jingle quite a bit you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're just like just completely shifting modes every fucking three seconds of whatever it is and the next one hits and you're like oh i know that song it's so bizarre it's so strange like i mean especially because even i mean i'm i don't know how old you are but i'm older obviously but the uh like desert storm i remember when they were like this is the first time we've seen like you know missiles launched on you know cnn on live tv and all this stuff and now and now it's just fucking in your hand and you're watching Mm. you know a, a soldier's like intimate struggle right at the fucking thing and then you do literally, you know, flip the page, and then I saw today some woman <laughs> posted that uh, there's this woman who goes outside with her husband, and they do like fake tai chi every day, and then shits in the fucking side of the road <laughs> and throws her toilet paper down this little cliff that's right in front of this lady's house. Wow! She's like, I see this every day. <laughs> she just. That's that's where we're at, but this fucking levels of like seeing everything every day. We're like, oh, you can see war, but you can also watch a woman take a shit outside this lady's <laughs> house every day. That's so true. <laughs> yeah, that app is insane. Like they're just it's crazy. Yeah, what you yeah what you can see on a yeah, it's <laughs> and it and it's great and sad at the same time because I definitely want to see it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh... I, uh, are you a fan of like the old? Um, are you a fan of, like the Rocky movies at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. Uh, I guess I haven't seen these because there's the whole like spinoff series, the Creed spinoff. The series. Creed, yeah. I haven't seen them, but I guess uh, in the newest one in Creed Three, uh, Sylvester Stallone is not in the movie at all, and it's like the first time mm-hmm. that he's like not in the spinoff series films yeah and i actually i didn't know this but i guess like he doesn't have like the i guess he's been battling for like the rights to that for a really long time and oh really i didn't know that yeah there's like a producer this guy i think his name is where's his name at irvin winkler or irwin winkler Mm. The Rocky rights have been in the hands of this guy since, like, 1976, I guess. Stallone wrote the film, but he kind of, this guy, like, helped him get it, you know, like, into being, coming a movie. And so it's kind of, he has, like, a big stake in it. And so I think he kind of ultimately is the one that's had the rights to this. And now he's, like, doing this, you know, the kind of just has control of it. It's kind of sad when you think about it because it's, like, those Rocky films are, like, really great. And it's, like... Stallone like is yeah. in it's like his a lot of his life you know he he is Rocky Balboa like it's just like yeah, it's his whole life <laughs> yeah and to just have yeah. no leverage on where it kind of goes yeah. and it and, that's crazy yeah like, like he posted this I was reading this article that he posted a picture of like uh it was like a Winkler type drawing like with a vampire like kind of like sucking mm-hmm. the blood out of Stallone it's like body uh, and it's so, just I don't know it's, there's instances of that happening like all over 
in show business where you know like people's ideas or people's like projects or whatever like they just kind of get like into other people's hands and then they spin into this other thing that they no longer can control control like i wonder how you deal with that you know like because it's like yeah like that's got like i couldn't like yeah like rocky you know it's like damn like he can't even can't tell like like that's a harrison ford has like i don't know if you've seen him video of him saying like they're like who's gonna play indiana when you die and he's nobody like he's (laughs) like no when i'm dead he's dead and it's really that's kind of yeah that's what like harrison ford is like said that in a that's just what he wants yeah that's what he wants wants. i know it's not gonna happen but it's what he (laughs) wants because he doesn't own it he doesn't own that yeah but yeah there's something to that i guess like i don't know like um well now they can switch it right they can they just do the uh what is it the not face swap but the cgi where they like a deep fake deep fake they can do the deep fake shit so they just have somebody looks similarly body wise and then just deep fake his face on there that's probably what they'll end up doing yes yeah, they did that actually with all this there's a there's a new indiana jones coming out i don't know if you know and mm. uh they did that and they use like ai to make him look younger in the movie and the, was it like the bad one they did with uh apparently it looks way better or says he no, one i hope not because it, it like that yeah the irishman that was uh the irishman yeah that was it that was bad that was, that was pretty bad especially what yeah. wasn't like i think netflix put that out like they should have the i don't know maybe that was considered like the the best technology then or i don't know but yeah i guess it's also pandemic so everyone's like we'll just fucking watch anything i don't care yeah all they really did was like change it's weird it's it felt like de niro's eye color changed and that was the only real major difference they did to his face (laughs) they just kind of like yeah they just moved his they moved his mole up like slightly (laughs) so he looks a little younger (laughs) his cheek Yeah, like that's all. That's all we need to do. That gives him five years right there. We'll just move it right. Now. Yeah, it's that's funny. it's fucked. I think it's like. I mean, but Rocky Logue, that's like. I mean, he had to have gotten paid at some point. That's for what it. I mean. He had to own it at some point, right? That's what is what I'm reading through right now. Because he must have sold it. Maybe he sold it for a shit ton less, or maybe he sold the points or whatever. Because I think he offered so this Winkler guy. I think he offered to buy the script from Sylvester Stallone. Um, so I thought that was all like self-funded or some shit when he the original Rocky at least. Yeah, he got paid for the writing and acting in it. I think like a flat fee for the first movie, and then yeah. when it became a hit, I think that you had to have made out on like Rocky two and three. There's no way. I mean, maybe he doesn't own the rights, but mm-hmm. I mean, no, I, I think mean he's he still made, a millionaire, yeah. right? He's had to have done at least pretty well. He's had like every fucking yeah. I, I plastic think what surgery happened is it's now. like they didn't think it was going to be anything, and then it blew up. It's one of those situations I think where it's kind of like it looks like the ownership. Yeah, he tried to get the rights after the fact. I think, which is seen. Uh, so he like sold the rights to make the movie. I think maybe but then that's what it happened. Blew up. Yeah. And then he's like, wait, this is okay. So, but still, I mean, there's got to be a pro, like, uh, it's, that's tough to say actually. Yeah. Cause it's like an, it's like a, it's like IP kind of almost. Cause you can, you can keep yeah. expanding. But on that's it. when you, but when it, but after that, that's like for two and three, that's when you put your foot down. You're like, okay, 
you can't make these without me now. After the I'm third like, one, really... he had, had to have been like, yo, like, what are you going to do? You're going to. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, but I mean, if you do two, you'd be like, okay, you need me. Give me fucking points in this franchise or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But maybe even then franchises weren't worth, weren't, weren't what they are now. It's like, you didn't have, you know, fucking Mandalorian and all those shit. You didn't have like the, the sign on for all those things and the ability like then you were just like, cause I mean, that was even like, I think Jaws was like the first like big sequel, right. That actually did something that was probably before Rocky. Maybe Jaws, Jaws is a sequel. No, sorry. Like the, the sequel to Jaws was like, Oh, I see what you're saying. The first like big sequel. Right. Okay. I think that actually made money or was maybe considered uh, a hit or whatever, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. Like, but I think that was before Rocky. Sequels kind of don't exist anymore, really. It's like if it's not the same sense. Yeah, if it's good. You're just gonna make it into like a ten, ten hour long episode series drama. Any, you're not gonna make a single, or you're gonna yeah. make like a whole universe around it. Like I guess it's like like Marvel has sequels, but they're not like sequels yeah. really. Like it's I don't know. That is interesting. Like, yeah, I was just thinking about that. There's no like number two like it's like they're of that movie really anymore it's kind of just like the next chapter yeah. in this yeah unless it's like sharknado level then they're like two <laughs> like there'll be a co- this is yeah, like the cocaine bear part two. <laughs> yeah yeah cocaine bear too yeah i gotta go see yeah no there's shit. definitely levels to it what's I'm gonna, that i'm gonna think i'm gonna go see cocaine bear this weekend i've people keep uh people keep saying that it's I've had people say it's really funny, and the people say it's really stupid, and I'm like, okay, that sounds like my lane of of movie to enjoy while I'm stoned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it looks pretty interesting, but I, I mean, isn't it? Wasn't it? Uh, what's his name's last movie too? Um, the guy who died. Uh, he was in the gangster. I'm so bad with names. The gangster movie. Um, guy that died. Famous actor. Leota, Ray Leota. Oh, Ray, Ray Leota's in. Wait, what? Let me look this. I believe Ray Leota's in Cocaine Bear. I think. Dude, no way. I think so. I think it was his last movie. Ray Liotta. Cocaine Bear. Wow. I think it is. Am I right? I think. Is he? Yeah. No way. He's in Co. Oh, now I have to go see it. Ray Liotta's in it. <laughs> I think he's the bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they just re, re, they re, uh, recreate the helicopter scene from fucking uh, what fucking movie is that um, what fucking movie is that where he's like the gangster guy and there's the helicopter flying and he like goes back to his house oh yeah um, you know what I'm talking about guys something guys um, is it it's like the movie he's famous for. It's like Goodfellas. Is that the Goodfellas? Okay. That's what it is. I was yeah, like, Goodfellas, fucking, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. It had something about to do with guys. That's all I know. Goodfellas, guys. You know. Ah <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, I just want to. I want to say thank you for for doing this today. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and and uh, and record with me. Um, I want to give you a chance to like plug like your show, your Instagram, like your website and stuff, where people can follow you and like look check out if you have any upcoming shows and stuff like that. Yeah, that'd be great. You can find it all at philcomedy.com, uh, at Phil Griffs on most uh, social platforms, P-H-I-L-G-R-I-F-F-S. 
And then, yeah, I do Comedy Sharks. Uh, we took a little break in January, February, but we're in March, but we'll be back in April. It's monthly, every second Thursday at Hop Dogma Brewery in Half Moon Bay. It's a great brewery. Even if a comedy show's not going on, definitely go check that out. Um, and then, yeah, then you'll see all my schedule up on uh, on my website at philcomedy.com. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. That was fun. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please make sure to like and subscribe on any platform you're on right now. And head over to Instagram or Facebook. Give the page at I'm Getting There Pod a follow to continue to stay updated on this. And we'll see you next time.